Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Greasers. I hope you're having an okay week. Uh, just let you know, as I've been saying recently, this we're coming to the end of this series. Um, so this is the penultimate episode. There'll be one more next week. Um, thank you so much for your support on this series. It turned into like quite an epic one, which I, I didn't really expect when I started out in February to still be going in June. Um, if you have been enjoying it, uh, please do rate, review and subscribe. It means so much to me and really helps me continue to make the show. And yeah, and if you've done any of those things and you've supported the show in any way, God, just thank you so much. It, it really, yeah, it still means a lot five years on. So thank you. This week, I am overexcited as ever to be talking to the incredible, incredible. I mean, yeah, she's a writer, but she's more than that. She is an icon, I think. She is Marianne Keys. She's an incredible writer. She has written so many books over the years. Uh, most recently, she wrote Grown Ups, which we talk about a little bit, I think, in this chat, uh, which just came out in paperback fairly recently which is just brilliant I, I read it in one of the lockdowns and oh it just disappeared I disappeared into a world and I didn't have to think about lockdowns and it was really nice um she's also just brilliant on Twitter and Instagram and she's just a very I mean you might have heard her on another podcast she's just a really brilliant interesting person and I felt really really lucky that she gave up her time to speak to me so Marion came in to talk to me about her dad Ted So Marion, we we asked, this is how I always start the show, um, who are we remembering today? Who is the person you want to talk about? My dad. And what was his um, name? Ted. Oh, I love, I love it. I love that yeah, name. It's yeah, yeah, so like Ted Lasso. Yeah, and he died on the 15th of December 2018. Wow, so not that long ago. No, I mean, I was 
Like I was 55. I mean, how lucky am I that I got to have my dad for that long? Yeah, but it's still, we say on the show all the time, like there's no hierarchy in grief. And, you know, yes, obviously it's amazing you had him that long, but grief is grief. Like he's still your dad. <laughs> like whatever yeah. age you are, yeah. it doesn't make you, yeah. you know. And he had had Alzheimer's for a long time. Okay. So like he had been gone a long time before he actually died. Right. So, you know, it's a weird one. When, um, did, when did he get diagnosed with Alzheimer's then? How long ago was that? God, maybe, like maybe around 2010. Wow, okay, um, yeah, so he'd had it for a yeah. while. Yeah, yeah. like, and he got, you know, he got slowly, I mean, it's that thing they say with Alzheimer's that it's cascades, that it's not really a gradual decline. It's sudden drops of whatever the word is, cognition. Mm. You know, and then they kind of plateau for a while. And then it's another sudden drop down to a much lower level and he had spent the last eight months of his life in um, a nursing home but it was still it was still terrible Mm. when he died yeah I think I mean it's funny isn't it because I think sometimes there's that expectation if someone has been ill or something's been happening like oh well you knew it was coming but it doesn't yeah I have I've often spoken to people who the person isn't dead yet so like they have alzheimer's or they're terminally terminally ill and i'll speak to someone they'll be like oh i'm ready i'm ready and i think it's different once they are gone it is complete you know a door really permanently locked it's very different to i'm prepared for that door to close it's it's completely different i absolutely agree you just you know people always say it's impossible to prepare and Mm. i mean that was certainly my experience because i mean i had all kinds of warnings even though I was in denial. But like, in the end, like, I was told, me and my mother were told, like, that he had about 48 hours left. Mm-hmm. And and I was initially horrified and believed it. And then I went back into denial. You know, I found out in the morning that he had 48 hours left. And then in that evening, when I went into him in, in the home, he had, he had managed to drink something. And I mean, he had pneumonia and he was too weak to take the antibiotics. Like there was no way he was going to get better. Mm. And I still decided that he was going to. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's that thing, it's the Emily Dickinson poem. The truth must dazzle gradually, lest every man go blind. Um, You know, we can only take these horrific truths in small little bites. Yeah, yeah, Um, I think that's, we talk about that again a lot on the show of like, the thing we, I think it's similar with with grief of like, it comes in waves for a reason. You sort of feel like, oh, okay, I get it, they're not here, but I haven't really accepted that they're, it takes so much time for your, and that's why your brain goes into shock, that's why your body goes into shock, to protect you from, to protect you from, from as you say the the horrific pain Mm, of it like the agony of it so you went in to see him that as you said that sort of first 48 hours were you there when he did eventually pass away no it was weird um so on the thursday morning i got the call from he hadn't been well i'd been in to see him on the tuesday and i mean again this is 
talk about denial, I was looking at him and he had always been sort of plump at the best of times. And I was looking at him and I was thinking, oh my God, I can see actually the shape of his skull Mm. underneath his skin. I mean, it was just so obvious that he was dying. Mm. You know, it was so obvious that his body was almost gone. And then my sister Rita Ann rang me and said, you know, dad really isn't a well man. And I was like, yeah, I know, but like, he hasn't been a well man for a long time. It's grand. You know, there's no need to worry. And then he got a chest infection. Mm. It must have been on the Wednesday. And then on the Thursday, I got the call saying there was only 48 hours left. And it's funny the things you remember. So I kind of reeled around in... I mean, I suppose I did believe it. And and then, and then I was meant to be going out that night. It was coming up to Christmas. And on the way there, I realised I couldn't. Mm. And so I came home. I got a taxi home. And my husband went on into town. And I realised then I didn't have my house keys with me. Um, so I went to see my mother. And while I was with her, my phone rang and it's just that horrible, horrible, horrible feeling when I saw the number of the um, of the nursing home come up and they said, come in. And it was, oh my God, you know. So I was there like with the shaking hands and trying to ring my brothers and sisters and also I'd come out without my car keys. Mm-hmm. And so we got a taxi over. I mean, this is the nice thing, like the home. The home is literally around the corner from where I live um, and it was very near my mother as well. So like... That had been nice that we could always see him so quickly. And when we went in, he had rallied and he'd had he'd had something to drink. And that was when I decided that he was fine. He was going to come through this. And then something weird happened. Um, I used the taxi app to get um, a taxi to bring my mother home. And this car arrived and uh, so myself and my mother got in the back. It was a man driving it. And uh, and he said something like, the man said, how are you, Marion? And I thought, how does he know my name, you mm. know? Um, and I said, I'm fine. And he said, I haven't seen you in a while. And I'm like thinking, who is he? He was a man. I go to AA, I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was another person from Alcoholics Anonymous who happened to be our taxi driver. And I just felt... I I mean, I just felt, oh my God, how lovely. (laughs) I felt I was being minded. Mm. Do you know, there was this, there was this, you know, I'm not a woo-woo person, like I'm Mm. really not, but it did feel like I was being given a message that you're certainly not going to drink and you're going to be fine no matter what happens. Wow. Um, Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it from that terms. Of course, seeing getting yeah having to deal with that and and being in a place where you are going slightly into that denial may then lead you down that addiction road again and then someone was like hi remember me I'm in the same position as you and it was like oh yeah oh okay like as if you probably even hadn't connected the dots yet but the universe was like we're watching (laughs) yes and I mean his name is Niall he's the loveliest man and uh all I remember about the Friday I mean we were all okay I've got one sister living in New York and I have two brothers and one sister living in Dublin. And so, and my mother. And and we were all in and out. Mm. Um, and I suppose I was still in denial. Mm. But then on Saturday, I went to my, I go to a regular meeting, like with familiar people. Um, and I shared and I said, 
I said, I think my dad is dying. And it was so weird to hear me say those words out loud. And I came home and I was very tired. And I thought, I'm just going to get back into bed for a while and just mind myself before I go over. And then my phone rang and it was the horrible number. It was it, it was the home mm. and it was the man who was, you know, my contact there. And he said, he's only got a few minutes left. And it was... I mean, that was horrible. But apparently he just deteriorated very, very fast. Mm. And the staff didn't have any real warning. And again, with, oh my God, the horrible taste in my mouth and my hands shaking, trying to ring my mother, trying to ring my brother, you know, trying to get somebody to collect my mother to bring her to the home. But when I rang her house, she wasn't there anyway. And so I, I went straight around there and like, Oh, you know, the trembling legs and the please God, don't let it be true. And Mm. and so I arrived and I went down to dad's floor. And uh, I mean, it was obvious from the way people were treating me that he was gone. You know, it's horrible. Like, those that look, oh, you just know, the don't look, you? Like oh, the look, what? the kind of the pity, yeah. you know, and the kind of and the the staff. There were really, really lovely. I mean, they were just really, really lovely people. But there was a distance, mm. you know. Uh, I can't describe what it does, what death does. Mm to the people that aren't the ones affected. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, maybe there's a respect that you have to do your thing, but there is also, I think, a fear that it's contagious or something. Oh, yeah, massively, you know, um, massively. Like, I think uh, even if you even if you work in a home, you know, we obviously just experience these things. It's sort of like this sort of base human um, primal nature, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, they, they have death. Yes, that, like, that stay part. away. Oh, not yeah. don't go near them. <laughs> like, yes. It's just something yeah. in you is like, oh, maybe I'm not safe. That's, I think, what suddenly your brain goes, oh, I, maybe I should be careful. It sort of like just kicks in. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it is primal. And, and, oh, my God. So we went into the room and, like, he was tiny, mm. you know? He had become tiny. And I forgot to say that it must have been on the Friday when I'd come out of denial for a while. Um, and he was not conscious, but he was he was alive. Yeah. I was able to thank him, oh. you know, for being my dad and for all the things, you know, for all the ways he took care of me and, you know, for all the worry, the worrying he did about me and for, you know, for the values he'd give me. Like, I'm so grateful that I had, that I was able to do that. Mm. Um but yeah, but funnily enough, when also when I arrived, all my brothers and sisters were there and my mother. I don't oh. like I don't know what happened because yeah. like I was the that the point of contact for the nursing home. Mm. But maybe they were. Oh, I think my sister Rita Ann had been there with her kids, but nobody was with them when he died. Mm. And first of all, I felt very sad about that. And then I thought, no, I mean, he was besieged with us. Yeah. And I think he, he took his he took his chance to go when there was nobody there. Yeah, we, we've talked about this on the show before and there's um, a really good book by a palliative care consultant called Dr. Catherine Mannix. I don't know if you've come across that with no. the end in mind. And she writes about all these different scenarios where people have died, but she talks about it of like, some people wait for people to come in and some people wait for you to go. 
And yeah. the, the first time I sort of heard that, I was like, oh, of course, because yeah, some people w- want everyone around. They want everyone to be with them. And some people are like, no, I want just peace and calm. Do this on my own. Yeah. yeah. And I think she yeah. said that there's quite common stories of, um, you know, people sitting with absolute vigils, being there for like 48 hours, going to get one cup of tea, coming back and they've gone. And them feeling guilty, like, oh, I shouldn't have left. But the sort of nurses and people who work in palliative care being like, they were waiting for you to not yes. have to see it, to not have to be there, you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I think it is a fairly more common than perhaps we realise that they... Yeah. yeah. I mean, for some reason I knew about that already and I didn't feel bad about it. But then the horrible, horrible job was ringing Katrina in New York. Oh, Um, gosh, I know, and... um, Mercifully, my youngest brother, Tyg, did it. I mean, Katrina had had a terrible year because Dad had been very sick in the April and he had been in the local hospital and... And we had a really horrible experience with a really horrible doctor who conned my mother into signing a do not resuscitate um, order, which the whole thing was incredibly distressing. Mm. Um, And Katrina, I had to ring Katrina and I suggested that she came home. And, um, And then it was actually kind of wonderful because we were convinced, and I'm still convinced, that that doctor was not going to rest easy until dad was dead. Like he Mm. was absolutely, he was so unpleasant and he was so like, yeah, he kept making fun of dad because dad had Alzheimer's. Like, so kind of what use was he, you know? And, uh, and we said, yeah. And we said things like, but like until he got this, this, it was a UTI and then it was a chest infection. Like until he got those sicknesses, he used to play bridge, like not very well, but he used to play them. And the doctor was so scornful of this, you know. So anyway, Katrina and I decided we were getting him out of the hospital and getting mm. him into a home. And like we managed it. Yeah. Like we found a home nearby. We got him assessed by somebody in the hospital. We got somebody from the home to come down and assess him. And basically we it was like a, a heist. You know, it was like a jailbreak. Yeah, um, yeah. So like he'd been in this home for eight months and I feel like we were lucky. We got those extra eight months yeah. because Katrina had come and... Yeah, and w- she'd had that time, yeah, and that, which she might yes. not have done had you not had that sort of moment. Exactly. Of like, oh, I see. We need to make these choices. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, God love her. So she didn't arrive until the following morning, and um, I mean, it was so weird because very quickly we had to leave. Mm. I mean, because I mean, I don't really. They had to wait for. I don't know, would it be a coroner to come and do the uh, the death yeah, notice? Yeah, I think so, yeah, it depends on, yeah, if anyone, sometimes it's, I'll get emails but telling me I'm wrong, but if there's no one with them or they died in, no, not if you died yeah. at home, but if they were, yeah, I don't know, so I'm sure someone had to come and be official yeah. about it. But like they were, it was shocking. Mm. I suppose I just thought that he'd be in that bed and we could stay there for as long as we wanted. Yeah, you know, yeah, but like, of course. But we couldn't, and yeah. and then all the admin started yeah, the, like the death men is is oh the death men yes or the sad men as sad as men, Catherine yeah, yeah. Mayer calls it yeah. yeah and it was so odd because it was the final of Strictly Come Dancing that night <laughs> and like that's something that I that I would normally have been really excited about it was the year Kevin and um, Stacey Dooley won oh that was a good year that was a yeah good year. and then. 
everyone went back to my mother's house. I can't remember, did we have pizzas? But then people started on the Baileys. <laughs> and I suppose people's spirits kind of lifted yeah. for a bit. But it was well, you have so that moment of sort of coming together, don't you? And then yeah. also there's that weird moment of like, well, this family aren't always in the room. So this is quite a nice thing. Like we're all together and, yeah. and we don't, no one has to be anywhere. Everything is cancelled. Everything doesn't matter. So I yes. guess it's a bit yeah. like the first lockdown. Lots of people said similar thing of like, first couple of weeks you're like oh it's this is nice you know we're all hanging out and then you're like okay oh, again like yeah. grief is still here like it, it's the continuation because I think that first bit is like we're all in this together this has happened but really what the the pain of grief is the day-to-day the endlessness that, that happens later which I think so many of my guests and listeners always say like that you know everyone always comes when it's just happened and then they leave and you're like no no you yeah. actually need to be around longer oh yes <laughs> Like, absolutely, yeah. And then on the Saturday night, around all of this time, I felt odd, lightheaded. Mm. And I kind of, I realised that there was a certain relief in this. Mm. In that, like, I realised how incredibly worried I'd been for so long. You know, I mean, and how I had kept that worry from myself, from knowing it consciously. Mm. But that, I suppose... I had known that when we moved him to the home, that it was only temporary, mm. and and it felt a con- it was a constant the constant fear of him dying, and I mean it had finally happened, yeah. and and my initial response was kind of okay, here we are. I mean I'm not saying that I was relieved he was dead. It was nothing like that. It was like no, oh I my know, god, yeah. this horrible, horrible, horrible thing has finally arrived mm. and, and and you spend I, so much time buffering yourself yes from that emotion like I just that's the worst that's the worst thing that possibly happened and I think when the worst thing does happen it at least you do have that you can cross that off the list like well that's exactly. not something I need to worry about yeah because it has happened it doesn't mean you're pleased or like oh woohoo that's happened it's just like oh okay well I I don't have to do that and like you said especially if someone is ill for a long time you've probably been holding that worry for years yeah yeah then, did you then have the funeral kind of did did you speak at the funeral or anything like that no katrina did um mm. the funeral was on the tuesday where are you in the brother are you uh, one of I'm the, older the eldest ones or younger? Are you um, the eldest yeah but i didn't want to do oh, the yeah, eulogy no, yeah not everybody yeah is keen and yeah, katrina, like to. she was absolutely magnificent like she wrote this incredibly it was entertaining it was funny it was warm it, like it got him completely like there's no way I could have done it mm. um so the neighbors were bringing things to eat mm. like cooked hams and <laughs> cake and, and the funny thing is I mean it was coming up to Christmas anyway like so there was plenty of food um yeah. one of the days we, you know we had to go to the undertakers and um and do all of that and then on the Monday night that they do this thing in Ireland. I don't know if they do it in the UK where like the night before you, you know, you go to the oh, funeral. Oh, you have the body ho- yeah. in the house? Well, it wasn't yeah, in the house. It was in the funeral home. Funeral home. But yeah, it was yeah, the same thing. It's much, when I've interviewed Irish guests, it's common in Ireland, I think. And I think you might get it here, but it's not, yeah, it's not really a a thing. And I, we did an episode once with an Irish comedian, uh, Gronya Maguire. Do you know Gronya? Yeah. And she was talking about it and this um, 
uh, another comedian actually thought she was joking. Was like, that, of course you don't really do that. <laughs> like you don't really have the body in the hat. And she was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. But so I, I think it's not always known that that is such an important part of the Irish death culture. Yeah, absolutely. So mum didn't want it in the house, but we had it in mm. the um, in the funeral home. And like thousands of dad's cousins came from from County Limerick, where he's from. And um, like there was such there was such a turnout, like mm. and, and of our friends, you know, um, people who knew dad from when they were teenagers, like they were, you know, friends of the family and ex-boyfriends and people like that. And I forgot to say, my mother was only just out of hospital with pneumonia. Like, oh my and, God. Uh, and she, she, I was worried about her because the thing was, the expectation is that you feed all the people who've come. And mm. she had booked a table at a restaurant a couple of doors up from the funeral home. And I had to make her go home. Like I had to go around and tell everyone, look, she can't come because... You know, we don't want her dying on us as well. Yeah, and, yeah. and they were absolutely lovely, of course. But she had that kind of that awful conscientious Irish mammy thing of you couldn't mm. you couldn't kind of insult the visitors. And we were exhausted. Like, mm. you know, and Katrina is a nurse, you know, and she's you know, she suits New York. She has lots of energy, but she was flattened. And then the following day was the funeral. And um when I woke up I didn't want to go I thought mm. I can't I thought I, I simply haven't got it in me to do this uh, but I went and I'm I am so grateful that I did mm. go because it was sort of lovely and what I found really lovely was afterwards because we all went to the golf club afterwards for um for lunch and I have to it remind me to tell you about the funeral car but what I loved was talking to cousins, younger cousins of my dad, who who knew a totally different side to him than I did. Yeah. And they said things like, you know, he was a very serious young man, you know. And I loved hearing that, <laughs> you know, and he was a very clever, studious man, you know. And he um, he took he took his studies very seriously. And, you know, he was my dad. Do you know, I had... A, mm, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but they were younger cousins who looked up to him. And that was interesting and nice. And people who were... Yeah, and even one of my cousins said, you know, that he was... The dad was the straightest, most honest man that they had ever met. Like, <laughs> one of my cousins, and I'm, I'm sort of being fudging this a little bit. Um, he mightn't have been a first cousin. But he was saying that he was trying to talk to my dad to get advice on how to do something less than legal um, <laughs> uh, in the farm business. I mean, and he was saying like, that's just no way. Like dad just wouldn't, wouldn't engage, wouldn't entertain it. And it was just very nice to hear all these mm. things. Um, but right, the thing was a lot of the cousins from the country had come on the train and they didn't have cars. And so we were trying to organise cars to get them all up to the graveyard and then to the golf club for the lunch. And it was like, I don't know, the evacuation of, 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 of 
Phnom Penh, you know, or like, <laughs> like you know, the last days of um, the Vietnam War, you know, like yeah, helicopters yeah. taken off from the roof uh, of the US Embassy. Um, so people were trying to get lifts everywhere and like cars were <laughs> jammers with people like you know like four or five adults in the back of a mini like you know this sort of thing one can get in the boot yeah. don't worry he's small yeah. yeah but a family friend connor ferguson who has been a family friend for like you know since he was 14 he was the last one left so we said sure look at get in get into the funeral car with us because like it was just my mother and the five her five mm. offspring you know, like none of our spouses were allowed. So Connor Ferguson gets in behind my mother, and like it was a fair drive to the uh, to the to the cemetery, and uh, and we all call my mother ma'am, and Connor has always called her ma'am as well. You know, and we were all in stitches. You know, because Connor was there and ma'am didn't know, and eventually he piped up and he goes, "Ma'am, ma'am, it's Connor here and behind you," and it was just, I mean. Connor's life, I think, is very curb your enthusiasm, you know, like that sort of thing happened. But I liked it because it was kind of typical of yeah, us, yeah, yeah. you know, like we're a yeah. chaotic family and um, and we like a laugh. And then <laughs> it was perishing cold up at the um, the graveyard because it was like the 19th of December, oh, one yeah, of them dates. Yeah. But it's this beautiful graveyard and it's new, so it's quite American and fancy. Right. Like yeah. most of the graveyards I know, like you're tramping for miles through mud. Like, you know, like you're going like miles and miles past like thousands of graves. But this is, you could drive up almost to it and they'd put oh, up wow. like a little marquee and seats. So that, wow. Yes. So that the I've family, never seen I know, <laughs> you know, so the family could sit and it was all oh, very, good. Oh, very good. fancy. Yeah. And, uh, and then we went back to the golf club because my dad was a golfer, you know, when before he got too infirm to play it. And uh, as well as all the cousins, there was a lot of people like, as I say, Connor and, and another friend, Emmett. And they had been coming to our house since they were teenagers and they're in their 50s mm-hmm. now. And they knew dad when dad used to have to, dad would get called by Katrina, like at, you know, one in the morning to say, we're in town, we can't get a taxi, you have to come and collect us. And poor dad would put his coat on over his pyjamas, you know, and drive in and get them all. And again, it would be like eight in the back and four in the front. And, <laughs> and it was just lovely to hear. You, you know, I really understand now the purpose of a memorial or a funeral mm. or something like that. It's really, really, really nice to remember your person. Um, yeah so important it's so much so part of the process Im- yeah. and, and you know to think that, that I had wanted to not go hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. I think you just, when you don't, haven't been through that, you just think it's just pain. I'm just going to cry and it's going to be awful. And you, you know, as ever with life, with grief, it's not all awful. It's all these massive amounts of things. And I think what you're talking about is so interesting because it's that when you're in, la- in relationship with someone, you're, you are only daughter to them as a fa- you know, yeah. father. And everyone else has something else. So you, yes. you build up this sort of 360 degree picture of somebody else and you're like oh wow oh they you saw them like that and they said that and it just makes them really whole yes and it was so nice to see how loved he had been and how respected and liked you know people who had worked with him like 30 years earlier had come and and also I suppose so many people showed up for me and that also I was so touched like outside the church and it was just, you know it was cold but it was sunny you know and people had come from all parts of my life and from the past and that was that was very uplifting i think yeah it's uh, it's one of the biggest things i thought about this past year about people who can't have that ritual mm. and yeah. can't have all those people and and again i think sometimes if you're not in the club as we say on the show like you can be like oh well they can do it later or you know it's a, a funeral was you know is what's it for and it's like and I said until you have a funeral that really really matters to you and like you said you can sort of see the again that the reason it exists it's a ritual it's we've been doing rituals yeah. for thousands of years it's not just like oh because it's you know based in Christianity that they, we bury our dead it's like no people have been burying their dead for yeah. since we've been here yeah <laughs> like, yeah it's such an important part of it and yeah it's like you said, it's such a mix of pain and sadness and love and laughter and happy and yes. all of that stuff. And I think actually it's quite a good um, starting point to grieving because that's what grief is. You're about to hit this, yeah. you know, you're about to go on this journey of agony and laughter and re- memories. And, and it isn't just all those things. And that often is what a funeral can be. Obviously it depends on the circumstances, but it tends to be if someone has lived a goodish got to a goodish age you know excuse what I mean um so how was it after the funeral because often that is when everybody hits that kind of like oh my god because people go people stop contacting you and especially you've got Christmas that everyone's kind of involved in the whole thing and yeah we had Christmas which was so Mm. odd Mm. um and my sister-in-law Liliana who is this fantastically able cook and hostess she had us all over and it was quiet but it was actually lovely um Mm. Katrina had had to go back to New York um but like 
it was it was sad but it wasn't agony mm. I suppose I mean we were reeling you know probably still moving in I and out shock of disbelief is, yeah yeah there's a lot of shock that happens and it, and it's funny isn't it because you know you are someone in that circumstance that people might be surprised because it's like well they were sick for a long time you know they got to this point but it doesn't stop the shock of someone just not being there, there. yeah and that was a one thing I couldn't I couldn't I didn't know where he was mm. I, I can't describe it it's just like well he's not at home in mom's house and he's not in the home and I don't believe he's in the grave uh, where is he mm. uh, and it didn't make any sense I mean like because he wasn't anywhere but I didn't feel that I thought he must he has to be somewhere it's so hard to get your head yeah it is it's just so hard literally to be like ages like that took ages to go you know but Mm. even now like when I go up to the lovely graveyard and it is a lovely graveyard it's not him in Mm. the ground I mean, to go back to one of your earlier comments when you see the body I think that is the first step of acceptance of like they're really not there because like you said it's just this tiny tiny th- and you see and it looks body body without a person alive looks really vulnerable it looks really like oh that that's yes. not gonna work like that's yes. that person can't walk around the place no. but when someone's living of course you don't think that you see them and yeah I can understand my dad was cremated so we don't have a graveyard as such but yeah it's very hard to yeah just wear where are they are you particularly religious did you take any comfort from that no no not at all <laughs> but that's okay it always feels like me you know it's fine I just I I was talking to someone yesterday another episode um who is a Christian and I was saying like I always feel like I'm sort of standing on the edge what do I mean I guess like you know like you're all around a pond and you can like see them on the other side and they believe in heaven you're like oh it looks nice over there doesn't it like it would be but you don't so you can't yeah you can't make yourself fake it but you're like oh look they think so if they were asked where are they they know they've got this sort of firm confidence about where they are yes. in heaven i think oh that sounds nice that you've got yeah. that like, i i mean i think a lot of people have that belief until actually somebody does die and and yeah. they find that actually it's not yeah. it's not something that they genuine you know that they're not taking any mm. any sucker from it because actually it doesn't feel real but you know each to their own yeah of course whatever works yeah. for you personally I would never you know if that's what works I just think it's if you are it looks yeah maybe that's really unfair of me I suppose I sometimes think it looks easier but of course it isn't it's still the person you love is gone so it's not easier yeah so what did what did you come to your conclusion that where he was did you find any sort of piece of like I know you said, oh, you're not woo-woo, but did you did you have anything where you felt like his, like a spirit or you felt like this or you just thought, I can't... A little bit. That's not how I see it. Um, he was very particular about the shoes I used to wear. He liked pretty, elegant shoes. And I wear, <laughs> I wear boots. And I had a particular pair of boots <laughs> that had spikes on the front. Lovely ones. But he was... They sound great. Oh, God, yeah. they're lovely. But I tell you, <laughs> I, he has hidden them on me. You know? Like... <laughs> He he used to he used to look at them and he used to go, "What have you got on your feet, Mar?" Uh, he used to call me Mar, um, and I'd say, "They're my nice boots, Dad. You're not like them." He goes, "I hate them." Um, so he hid he has hidden them on me. You can't find my them. My lovely, still. and they're Louboutins, and he yes, oh my god, and they are 
they are lost. I mean, I have torn oh the place apart looking for them. And oh, Marion, that's so isn't funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. yeah, and they're gone. And now and again, wow. I try to find them, and they are so gone. Um, <laughs> and that, He's like, she's not. That yeah. is my no. If I can do anything, they're gone. Yes. That's it. You're not having yeah. them. That's hilarious. So I like. That's so I think funny. that's him having the last laugh. You know, I like that. <laughs> I really do. And I, you know, I don't. I just feel that he, he lives on in our, like we talk mm. about him, you know, my mother and I talk about him all the time, Katrina and I, you know, obviously we haven't got together in so long, but like when we're all together, we talk about him and like, um, and other things happened like um, my brother Tyg had a little girl, uh, Hannah, let me see, I'm trying to think, I think she was born about a year and a half before he died and uh, after she went up they took her up to the graveyard one day and she has down syndrome and she's she's not pre-verbal but I mean she makes noises but like she doesn't have words mm. but right, she yeah, yeah. was having this conversation like um, like you know she was and laughing and like really <laughs> wow. animated and dad loved her like there, there's a beautiful photograph with the two of them looking into each other's eyes. I mean, and like we're convinced that that she was <laughs> talking to dad of them. But then, <laughs> let me see, when was it? In <coughs> the summer of 2019, which is, you know, six months after dad had died, my brother's wife got pregnant again and they had shut up shop and after dad died my mother said somebody's going to get pregnant because that's what always happens and I said yeah well you know well a don't be looking at me and I mean and the the, the next most obvious person was my niece Emma who was like 19 at the time and I was like and it better not be Emma you know but it was <laughs> it was Susie and so she had a little boy called Tomas and he I am not making this up. He has some mannerisms that are like dad. Um, And he walks like dad. It's hilarious. You know, like he's got that same little fella, you know, (laughs) like it's so, I mean, obviously when you're primed to look for signs, you'll see them. But like all the same. And uh, I totally agree. And my, my brother is, is very similar to my dad, but he doesn't look like him really. And he had a son and his wife is, Japanese so his children yeah you know, are a mix of Japanese and English and when he appeared he, to us he looks very Japanese but the weirdest thing was but all of us were like wow that's what dad would have looked like if he was Japanese oh. like, they look so similar yes. in a way that again of all the grandchildren you would have thought oh it won't be obviously you know be less likely to be the one with the Japanese mother that's obviously a strong genetic heritage and he just looks like him and he gives you this look sometimes that that's what I feel like I get a look and I'm like like how do you know to do that that is my dad looking it's at me it's guess. so weird yeah and it's I guess because I think until you've like some people say oh they live on for you which always sounds really like what does that mean and then when you see it you're like oh I see yeah that is how people live on yes like they live on in this way yes. that you can't argue with yeah like, it's just there yeah like you know because of my dad you know there are seven grandchildren on this earth do you know Mm. that will that are living their lives and you know he had five children like 
when I think of it like that kind of the chain of human beings like down through the yeah. centuries it's like it's a bit mind-blowing yeah yeah it is it is and it's again that thing with grief of like it, it isn't just all wailing and it isn't obviously walking around being like happy all the time no. it's just all these it, weird moments that's that that sort of connect to each other and I think especially yeah grandchildren are a really strange thing when you're not you know when you're the you're, you're the child in that yeah. situation and the next generation is what I mean and you're looking at them and you're like oh you you didn't know them in that yeah. way you didn't I mean my nephew didn't never even met him obviously because he died when me and my brother were teenagers but it was very comforting to see that weirdly it felt familiar I don't know if you had the same like oh there you are yes oh there I it know. is oh it's lovely Hi. yeah it's really yeah. lovely how did you find um that was 2018 then obviously we had 2019 then obviously we had 2020 um did which was quite early on in your grief I would have said when all of this stuff kicked off and I there was a lot of discussion on the Twitter with this podcast and and my guests of like finding the lockdown very not confronting is perhaps not the right word but like how did you find because you were quite early in your grief did you find suddenly having to be oh I can't distract myself although I guess you're a writer so you can you can write from home but did you find it a bit I well, that's a great word, I found like. the first six months after he died really, really, really hard. Um, mm. In that, I mean, I was so tired. I mean, it was. Mm. People don't oh, realize how tired it makes. God, you. like yes, yeah, it wipes you. Completely. It wipes you. And then it's confusing because people are like, "What is this?" You're like, "It's grief." Yeah, but I feel like it's not. I guess it's like you know these mysterious things in life like periods or something like you you until you hit it someone's like oh that's what that is and you're like oh "Oh, why does no one tell me (coughs) yeah and I couldn't work it was like I'd been given a dead arm Mm. to the brain like and I was I was meant to have delivered a book at the end of 2018 and I couldn't um and I it was just it was I was incapable um, and I tried, like, I, I tried, and I just couldn't. And then in the summer, sometime that summer, I kind of, it was like, you know when your ears pop on a plane? Like, it was yeah, like yeah. that. I thought, oh, all right, then, okay, fine, fine. Like, it changes you forever. Um, mm, yeah. Another thing, Fundamentally. Yeah, I mean, and it's something, actually, I'll tell you what, what COVID did do to me. Um after dad died i was terrified of everyone else dying um mm, you know like, yeah death anxiety yeah. They call oh do it. they yeah. okay i mean like <clears throat> yeah. i mean obviously my mother is um yeah <laughs> is a worry but my, once you've got one left yeah. it becomes like don't don't you, don't you do i said anything. that to her i did i said <laughs> yeah i said you are not to die for at least five years do you hear me and she said okay yeah, yeah. um <laughs> which is very nice of her but my husband i I used to wake in the middle of the night to make sure he was still breathing or I would touch him to make sure he hadn't gone cold. And that has started again in this mm. current lockdown. Just the fear, the yeah. fear of him dying. Um, it's it's really common. It's really common. Like, yeah, it's they call it death anxiety and it often happens when it's... Well, it just happens after breathing. It can happen after a shocking one because... And it's about... 
I don't know if you suffered from anxiety beforehand as well. Like, so I was quite, I think I probably was anxious before he died. And then when that happened to me, it's just like, it's about loss of control yeah. again, isn't it? It's like you weren't in control. There was nothing you could do. Yeah. And that is such a hard thing to accept as a human. There's nothing you could have done. It's like, there must be something. It must be one thing I didn't. Yes. And it's like, no, there yeah. isn't. And so you get into this like, well, if I obsessively worry about that person, I can somehow protect That's them. That's right. Yes. And it's, yeah. And I think lock, the lockdowns, again, your control is ripped away yeah. from you, which feels like grief. It feels a bit griefy and you don't get to see people, which feels a bit griefy because yeah. you're isolated. And so it all starts tricking, trickling back into your brain of like, oh, this feels a bit like grief again. I can't, I have no say over how I'm feeling about things. So if I just worry about them, yeah. somehow I can protect yeah. them. I mean, I, I do that magical thinking of thinking worrying will protect them. Yeah. But it's also like death is very close at the moment mm, yeah i yeah. mean it's a fact yeah you know like it's something that i both i'm in denial about and i'm very aware of like you know yeah. you've got to keep yeah. going but i think that's how it's affected me you know and i have spells of i don't know darkness or lowness i you know one of mm. my big worries was about but 11 years ago i had a breakdown that was really tough it was hard living through it and I was really lucky and I recovered and I you know um and I have really been very happy and I was worried that if one of my parents died that I would um that I'd revert to it and Mm. you know and I'm so I'm so grateful that I haven't but I suppose things are so difficult at the moment that it's sort of, I get hints of it. Um, and they're mm. only hints, thank God, because I feel like I'm not sure I'd have the stamina to survive another bout of it. Um, mm. But I don't know if that ties into grief or if it's just, I suppose, I mean, everything is, nothing can be, nothing happens on its own. Like every experience yeah, uh, yeah. is, is tied up is with every other one. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's, yeah. Yeah, the death anxiety and the fear of kind of going back into the horrors. And mm. yeah, as I say, I get wispy <coughs> hints of it now and again. But that's all it yeah. is, thank God. It's so, you know, yeah, it's it's so hard. Life can be so hard, which I always feel like it doesn't, that word doesn't do enough. No. It's like, it doesn't give enough yes. of what you actually mean. I feel like we need a German yes. word to jump yeah. in there and do the job for us. But I completely, I really understand. And I know that, yeah when my that you know period after my dad died obviously I was very young and it was awful and I the sort of for ages I didn't go to therapy I just completely was yeah. in denial because it was you know too young and I remember starting therapy and and my I felt like that I can really relate to that I basically thought like if we open this box it's never going right. to stop and so I've learned to close the box. I've learned to cope. Yeah. I've learned to survive. So, and I felt like you, exactly like you said, of like, I won't be able to do that again. I did it once. I don't know how I did it. I don't know, I, but I did. And that doesn't, sometimes people think, oh, look how strong you are. You're like, no, no, what I'm, I just like, I just got through, yeah. you know, like Indiana Jones. I rolled through the door closed. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I can do that again. So yeah, it's a re- it is really frightening, but um and that's what I found so helpful about therapy is having somebody there with you to kind of help you deal with that place of going through it. And obviously it's, it's, we're talking about slightly different things, but um, to know that you, 
you can you can cope with yeah. it but it's it's frightening when you've been through something that's so traumatic yeah. it is frightening and I think grief is such a um it just brings everything up you know like it, it you can live your life quite calmly when there's not grief in it and everything sort of like can you know someone can say how are you and like oh just sort of plodding yeah. along but grief just like chucks everything up in the surface yeah that was lying there and it's hard to then find like you said what is just things that were there before what is grief what is pain what is like and have to sort of rebury all these things again yeah. And I mean that in a positive way, like not in a like bury them down. I mean like in a in the soil of your what am I saying? The soil of yourself. Um and I yeah, I really understand that feeling the 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 wisps of something being there. Because that's what grief does. It just may it, it pulls yeah, the rug under you. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, it's, and it re- rearranges reality. Mm. Um yeah. like it rearranges everything. You know, my thoughts about existence, like yeah, everything is altered and I don't think it can ever go back to the way it was before. Like it shouldn't. No. You know, we've been given no, insight no. into something that we couldn't understand before. Mm. And we say that so much on the show of like when you speak to people who aren't in the club, who don't get it. And it's it's not because it's obviously it's not great being in the club. Like, it's like, but you but you it's no no one want no one applied to join, but you you do sort of feel like you know something that some people don't. And it sounds like well, I'm trying to oh, obviously grasp at straws for what is a shit club. <laughs> like at least we know yeah. something. But yeah, it is it is an insight, and you can't go back. It's it is a fundamental change, and it's just. I suppose it's it re, like once you've had that shift, it rearranges everything. And I, I always find it interesting speaking to people who were much older because yeah. for me that rearrange happened at fifteen. So I've lived my life for a long time more in this sort of like oh okay death is yeah. really near. But I think it must be a big shock if it comes to you later. Oh, in a yeah. way. Like I dealt with that shock early on. Whereas if you've got into your fifties and and haven't had that, then it must really make everything seem like oh my god, what was all that? Yes. Like what just happened? Yeah, I mean. I, I don't know because I can't compare it to anything. Um, mm. But I do feel that I was very, very lucky to have got to the mm. age of 55 without losing a parent. Um, mm. I do. There's no doubt. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. You can, like you said, you only have your lived experience. And it was funny reading your book, Grown Ups, there was a, a part in it where a young boy described losing his dad when he was younger and I thought it's really interesting because I really related to it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I knew that you, yeah. your dad had died when you were older. And obviously you're a good writer. So that's why Thank you can write you. these things that, about people who aren't necessarily your truth. But I was like, oh, that's really interesting because had I not have known that, I would have assumed you'd lost oh. someone young. Because I was like, oh, the way you said that of like, how did you describe it? It was like um, like this feeling that they're, you're waiting yeah. for something. Like you're come waiting back. for them to come back. You know, like yeah. ev- everyone's ready. You've got all your coats yeah. on. And, and your like, muscles oh, are tense to... to get up and leave. <clears throat> yes. And yeah, you're sort of frozen yeah, yeah. in that readiness yeah. forever. So I, and yeah, and I think that's the thing of whatever age you are, it's still grief. Yeah. <laughs> there's different things. There's different things that massively affect it. And I do like being a teenage griever, like there's all these consequences to that. But yeah, grief is still grief in that sort of more basic form. 
And I think it's interesting that you couldn't write. I completely understand that. I think sometimes we don't give enough... Um, it sounds like you did, but sometimes we don't give enough space to grief of, like, it's actually a thing you need to do. Yeah. Like, you can't yeah, you just can't be like, oh, carry I'm going... on and, yeah, coexist no. with it. No. You've got to do still, it 100%, get... like. Yeah. How did you feel, like... Did you feel like you you did it in those six months or did you feel like it's still been coming back? Oh, yeah, back, it comes or... back. But I suppose... Mm. Yeah, I think those first six months, it was intense. Also, I got very sick. That's yeah, quite common as well. Yeah, like yeah. Your immune yes, system. Yes, just... yeah. Yeah, I think, I suppose, yeah. The six months, it was kind of all I did. Mm. But I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think I can say it's done. I mean, I think it's always. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it's, you just yeah. live with it, you know. I think that's all. And I think really it's interesting because I I found the first six months awful, really awful. And I think it's weird word, but I think it's like good that it's great that you kind of just grieved. Yeah. Because I think some people even avoid the first oh, six months. Yeah. And that can be a problem yeah. as well. Like I think you kind of need, if you are willing to go there for the first six months to a year, that can be a bit helpful sometimes because at least you've <laughs> like done your wailing. But yeah, it it doesn't go anywhere I mean as proof of someone 20 plus years that I lost my dad I'm still talking yeah. about it but then sometimes I feel people go like oh shit am I still gonna be talking about it oh. <laughs> and you're like no I'm okay like I'm not wailing yeah. every day it's just it's still of a part course. of my life of course mm. like I definitely my I said to someone the other day that my waves of grief or those moments are they can be years between oh, them now yeah you know? and I, you know really I can be like whereas you know, early on it would be like hours, oh, days, God, months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas now it can go, yeah, years until I think, oh, what's this? Oh, I feel a bit. Oh, yeah, this is grief. Like it's been so long. Isn't that? Yeah, it really doesn't yeah. hit me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that the relief periods have got longer for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it. I think time. You know, it's a cliche for a reason. Is that time does help? You've talked about it on social media, your grief, and I wondered. How has that been? Have you ever felt like too open to it, or has it been helpful to have that kind oh, of? Oh, it's been so helpful. Other people's experience. Oh my god, mm. it's been so helpful. Like especially at the beginning when I couldn't stop sleeping, you know, and people mm. just said, "Oh, yeah, that's normal." Like it was lovely <laughs> to be told that, um, yeah. you know, and also people said things like, "There's no wrong feelings," and that no, yeah. I, I found social media incredibly helpful. Um, people were so nice and nobody said the wrong thing well I didn't feel it that way yeah. no I found it really 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 helpful I'm glad yeah I'm glad no I mean I that's been my experience is actually when you're talking about stuff like that people are mostly deeply kind yes. and sensitive and yeah. empathetic but it's it's a weird place because social media isn't like that and then there's this weird corner where everyone sort of gets serious oh, and it's like people yeah. were lovely yeah, yeah. well Marion thank you so much for talking to me and it was a pleasure your time and remembering Ted it was oh yeah, it was thank so nice. you I mean I really really appreciate that thank you yeah he was a great dad you know he was like a good decent man and mm. and thank you for letting me talk about him no, not at all. It was and I'm sorry pleasure. for your loss. Oh, thank you. Thank I you. am. I appreciate that. That's really kind. <laughs> thank you. 
You can follow Marion on Twitter at Marion Keys. It's M-A-R-I-A-N-K-E-Y-E-S. And her book, Grown Ups, is available in paperback now. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland and was recorded remotely from both our living rooms. Music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. Uh, I think that's it. Oh yeah, remember, you are not alone. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 